0: Um, I want us to think tonight about how Jesus is good news for our bodies. Um, A few months ago, a dear friend of mine was on vacation. He was in a beautiful part of the world, and I got a text message from him one day saying, hey, I'm heading to the beach, I'm going to need your prayers. And you might think if you didn't know him, he's just being a jerk and rubbing in the fact that, you know, he's on vacation and everyone else is... Going to work, and he's going to the beach. But uh, I knew my friend well enough to know that that he was serious, and that his ask for help was genuine. Because what was troubling was he, what was troubling him was he was heading to the beach, and he hated his body. And he knew the expectation was going to be that at some point you've got to. Your guy, take your top off and go for a swim, and all the rest of it. And he, he said to me in a, another message, he said that the, the two guys he was going with could have passed for male models, so that wasn't helping him either. And he was feeling very self conscious and, and increasingly anxious, and he wanted prayer. And I mention that, that, dear brother, because he's not alone in feeling that way. Uh, no one has an entirely straightforward relationship with their body. I was reminded of that earlier. I, I enjoyed the tacos. Is it tacos? Is that what we ate tonight? I'm still new to this country again. Tacos. Ta- whatever those were. Anyway, very nice. Nice. Uh, I ate them with with sufficient gusto and enthusiasm that I I literally was just hiccuping my way through that entire worship set, thinking, I hope I stop hiccuping before I get up to speak. So our bodies don't always feel like they're on our side. But we we struggle with our bodies. We struggle many, most of us, maybe all of us, with with some aspects of how our body looks. I've been sort of thinking about this, praying about this, talking to people about this for a few years now. I lost count a long time ago just of how many men have opened up to me on this issue, feeling some kind of discomfort with their appearance, feeling like they don't measure up to what they're supposed to look like. That's an issue everyone seems to be facing. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, if you're young or old, and we're facing it more and more and more. All the trends are going in the wrong direction on this. So here's the thing, when it comes to our bodies, all of us are followers. Someone is determining how we feel about how we look. Someone is calling the shots, someone is setting the standards. For It might be our family, it might be our peer group, it might be social media, it might be Hollywood, but we're all following someone's standard of what we're meant to look like and it's not making us happier. So what do we do with that? Well, here's my working kind of approach to these things. My assumption is Jesus is good news for every part of life. There's no aspect of our life, of our existence that is gonna be improved by keeping it back from Jesus. So Jesus is going to be good news for how we think about our bodies. Because he's good news about everything. So I wanted to anchor our uh, time. I'm going to be looking at a few different passages, and I'm not clever enough to have put them on a the screen, so you just have to bear with me on that. Uh, if you've got a Bible on a phone or it comes in a book now, um, <laughs> you can <laughs> you can follow along. Um, I'm going to I'm going to anchor what we're looking at in First Corinthians chapter six. I'm going to read from twelve down to verse. Uh, 20 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord in your body. This is God's word. Now Paul is responding to various things that that they have been saying at the church in Corinth. Uh, They seem to be into kind of slogans and he quotes a couple of them. They were doing the hashtag thing before there were hashtags. And one of the things that apparently they were saying was, you know, verse 12, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. That was one of the kind of hashtags going around the church in Corinth. And it seems to have been used as a way of justifying sexual sin. The thinking was, you know, when you're hungry, you go and get some food. Uh, When you're feeling aroused, you go and have sex. And the logic was, well, just as we have a physical appetite for food, and so that appetite is meant to be physically met, so we have an appetite for sex, and that appetite's meant meant to be met as well. It's just biology, it's, it's just physical. With one of those appetites, it's just the intake of calories. With in, another one of those appetites, it's just the exchanging of bodily fluids, but it doesn't really make any difference. It's just the body, it's just physical. It's just biology. So Paul replies with his own kind of hashtag back at them. He says in verse 13, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. The Lord is for the body. And the body is for the Lord. So those are gonna be the two things that we think about this evening. The Lord is for the body, the body is for the Lord. So let's think about the first of those things. The Lord is for the body. The Bible shows us God is not neutral when it comes to the human body. Bodies matter to him. He makes them. Apparently, he likes making them. He's made several billion of them by now. (laughs) And we see something of of what that means to him in in Psalm 139. You'll, I'm sure, know these verses. Psalm 139, verse 13. King David is, is... Uh, praying in this psalm to God, and he says, for you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Amazing verses. David says, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I've never knitted anything in my life, but I've I've watched people (laughs) knit. In fact, there's people who knit while I preach. Is anyone knitting here? Where's Alan? No? Just checking. But here's the thing I love about knitting there is not a single stitch that happens on its own. Someone's hands are involved in every single stitch. That's right, isn't it? Okay, just checking. Um, And that is how involved God is in the creation of our bodies. We're not mass produced. We're handcrafted. Um, since moving to Nashville, um, being the kind of city Nashville is, I I see the word artisanal on lots of things, <laughs> and I never really thought about what the word artisanal means, other than misshapen and really expensive. <laughs> so I looked it up, and it is this sense of it—you know—it's hand handmade, not machine-made, but handmade. In which case, God is an artisan. Now if you make it over to, to lovely England where I'm from and you're looking for a wet weather option, which you will be, uh, one of the fun things to do is to visit the, the, the factory where they make cabbage chocolate. And as a, as a friend to your nation, <laughs> your chocolate is horrible, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it really is, it's disgusting. So, if for no other reason, please come to the UK to, to just find out what chocolate really does taste like. Um, me and a, f- a friend last year gave up chocolate for Lent. I was over in the, the US at the time. And he, he caught me eating a piece of Hershey's. And he said, hey, you're giving up chocolate for Lent. I said, I know, this is, uh, whatever this is is not chocolate. I'm allowed this. But I love being at the Cadbury Chocolate Factory. One of the great things about it is you you basically get to eat as much chocolate as you can during the course of of the tour. So it's a good way of just discovering where your limit actually is for chocolate. (laughs) But it's fun seeing these machines and and all your kind of favorite chocolate bars kind of pouring off these machines by the thousands. And as we look around at, at the kind of teeming humanity that is all around us. Again, it's tempting to think we've just sort of all, all kind of rolled off some production line. And David says, with every single person that you meet, they have been fearfully and wonderfully made. We're made individually. We're also made deliberately. There's purpose here. There's intention here. God didn't make people by accident. Now there will be some of us in this room who may well know that you were not exactly entirely planned by your parents. I've got some friends for whom that's the case. With with some of them, it's a kind of a bit of the family banter. It's a bit of a joke. With other people, it's actually it's a source of of, of pain, of tenderness. But Psalm 139 reminds us no one was a surprise to God. My friend, however you feel about yourself in the quietness of your own heart, you are not an accident. God meant for you to be here. This does not mean our bodies are perfect, they're not. Our bodies have been tainted by sin, as everything has. Our bodies can be problematic, they don't always work properly, but they are still fearfully and wonderfully made. David was very conscious, I'm sure, of the fallenness of his own body, but he could still say, I've been fearfully and wonderfully made. You are here as the physical person that you are because God meant for you to be here. So your body is individual, your body is deliberate, but one of the other things that we, we see throughout the Bible is your, your body is you. It's interesting, back in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, as, as Paul is finishing off the chapter there, he uses the words you and your body pretty much interchangeably. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, you are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Your body is you. And we need to remember that today. There is so much confusion today about our identity and where our body does or doesn't fit into our identity. And the Bible helps us with this. The Bible shows us the body isn't everything. It's not the totality of your identity. Do you remember when, um, uh, I'm going to do this from memory and Get all the, all the names and all the details wrong. Um, but when, when God was showing Samuel who the next king was going to be, and rather than just saying, hey, Samuel, it's going to be David, the guy called David, okay, he, he makes Samuel kind of go through this kind of reality TV show kind of experience. So if you're going to go to Jesse's house, it'll be one of Jesse's sons. So David goes to Jesse's house. He says, hey, have you got your your boys around? And Jesse gets them all out, and they all kind of line up, and the first one turns up, and he looks like the guy you would cast to play the role of a king. (laughs) Tall and just looks kingy. Okay, you could just, yeah, a crown would look really good on that head. And so, you know, Samuel's thinking, oh, it must be this guy. And the Lord says, no, not him not the next one, not the next one, and it's one of those kind of awkward situations of, have you got anything around the back? Anything else in stock? And, well, yeah, there's, well, there's David, but we didn't even bring David out. He's, he's, he's out in the fields. He doesn't even know this is going on. And David is the guy, and one of the things God says to Samuel in that whole process, I mean, why does God make Samuel do all of that? The reason is because one of the things God says to Samuel is, the Lord does not look at outward appearances as man does, but the Lord looks on the heart. Yeah. There is more to us than our physical appearance. There is more to us than our bodies. If we only kind of judge someone by what we physically see, we know that we're, we're seeing a very incomplete view of that person. There's a whole inner self to that person that we can't see just by staring at the outside of them. So that's what we do. Often that's all we can do. We, we look at outward appearances. That's often the basis on which we evaluate people. We try. I'm, I'm terrible at this. I, I will meet someone and think, Ugh, you're not going to be the kind of person I get on with. And then I'll get to know them and they'll become like my best friend. I'm just hopeless at this. But that's because we look at outward appearances and the outward appearance doesn't tell the whole story. There's more to us than our bodies. The body is not everything. But the body's not nothing either. And this is a word for our, our cultural moment now because, again, we're tempted to think well, the body is both accidental and incidental. For so many people today, you know, if you, if you come with a sort of materialist, secular kind of mindset, then we're all here by random chance. The universe coughed itself up into existence. Somehow we ended up walking around planet Earth, but our our physicality is just random. It's the product of time and chance and nothing else. And so our bodies are incidental. They don't mean anything. They're just the lump of flesh we, we find ourselves dragging around planet Earth. And so we have movies like Avatar where you can change not just aspects of your human body, you can change into the body of an entirely different species and it doesn't affect who you really are. Because the real you is who you feel yourself to be deep down inside. The body's got nothing to do with your identity. But the Bible shows us something very different. Do you remember when Adam is created in in Genesis 2? Uh, This is what we're we're told. Genesis 2, verse 7 says, The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So it's interesting, the sequence of things that happens. God takes the man of dust from the ground and, and forms the dust of the ground, forms it into a body, and then breathes life into it. It doesn't say God made a soul called Adam, and then looked around for something physical to put the soul Adam into. No, God makes the flesh and then breathes life and and animates it. We tend to think in our our kind of Western world that the body is basically a Tupperware container. Okay, there's, there's the self, the real us, and there's something it has to be carried around in, so we have this thing called a body. But if Genesis 2 verse seven is, is how we're meant to think about ourselves, we're not primarily imprisoned souls. We're animated flesh. Our body is not incidental to who we are. It's not everything, but it's not nothing. And we know that. We know that in our better moments. When you get that kind, of, you know, that kind of trope in a movie where a husband's been unfaithful to his wife and she finds out and his defense is, well, it, it didn't mean anything, it was just physical. No, no, it means something because it was physical. When someone mistreats your body they're not just mistreating your property they're mistreating you your body is you it's not everything but it's certainly not nothing so what do we do with that well a couple of a couple of ways we can begin to allow this, this insight to shape us. The first is to, to cultivate thankfulness because it means our bodily life with all of its ups and downs and there will be for some of us profound downs when it comes to our bodily life but our bodily life itself is nevertheless a gift to us. You may have a lot of pain because of your body. Uh, We live in a world where people get sick and some people stay sick. There'll be a number of us in in a crowd this size who have kind of chronic forms of illness, stuff that we just have to live with. There'll be some people in this room who are experiencing physical pain maybe every moment of every day. There's the pain we get from our bodies sometimes because, again, we don't like the way our body is. It doesn't fit who we feel ourselves to be or who we wish ourselves to be. For some people, the pain from our bodies is, is the sting of shame. Shame that comes from what we've done with our bodies that we just can't get over maybe for some of us, the shame that's come from what others have done to our bodies. And we can't get past that every time we look in the mirror. There are lots of ways our bodies cause us pain, but our bodies have still been fearfully and wonderfully made. It's striking to me that in in that psalm, David doesn't just say, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. David says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. In other words, we should thank God for our bodies and for some of us that will be hard so here's something I would encourage each of us to do over the next few days and again this won't be easy or automatic for for a number of us but here's what I would encourage you to do whatever your kind of morning routine is with the bathroom and all the rest of it each morning, try to practice the discipline of thanking God for what you see in the mirror. Irrespective of how you feel about what you see in the mirror, maybe even stick that verse from Psalm 139 onto your mirror, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The Lord is for the body, the Lord is for your body. So cultivating thankfulness is, is one way we can begin to respond to this. The other way is, is one that is becoming you know, more obvious to us now having come out of the last two years and it would have been at any other time, but that is to value physical presence. Okay, who would have imagined that that would be a lesson we would have had to have learned the way we have over the past couple of years? Uh, we've learned we can't take physical presence for granted. It was deprived us, uh, we were deprived of, of it for so long. We were forced to depend on lots of other ways of being in contact with each other. And we're grateful that we had those other ways of being in touch. I mean, we're all sick of Zoom by the end of the pandemic, but thank God we had it. I mean, the only thing worse than being on Zoom would have been not to have had it at all, right? Uh, No, we have social media, we have phone calls, we have messaging, we have all kinds of ways that we can relate to each other when we're not physically in the same place. And that's all well and good, but we we mustn't make the mistake of thinking that's enough. All of those things that we can do can give us a, a sense of feeling connected But unless we have physical presence, it's an incomplete and inadequate way of relating to each other. Um, John's second letter. um, I love this. He, He has this to say at the end of it. Let me just find it. Go to Revelation and turn left. Second John, where is it? verse 12 he says though I have much to write to you I'd rather not use pen, paper and ink instead I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete John's got so much he's only written a little postcard here but he's he's got so much more that he wants to share with this church and he says I've got much to write to you I'd rather not use paper and ink I'm sure paper and ink in those days that was that was an expensive commodity that was that was not easy to get hold of but it's not because John is cheap No John is saying it's inadequate it's not good enough John may as well say, listen, I've got a lot to say to you. I'd rather not do this over Zoom. Um, instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. There is some joy in getting a phone call. There's, there is joy in having a FaceTime with a, with a dear friend that you don't get to see very often. But there is nothing like being physically with the people that you love. There is joy, but it won't be complete unless we are physically with one another. Now, I know for many of us, uh, one of the things we realized we could do during COVID was, hey, we can just live stream church. Okay, we don't have to get up. We can just, you know, stay in our pajamas and just watch church from home. And we get the teaching, we get the worship, Uh, don't have to have any conversations with anyone. We can make our own coffee, that's fine. We can, you know, if you're a couple, we'll greet each other. Uh. (laughs) Whose turn is it this week? I think I've greeted you last week, so you greet me this week. Did you bring the donuts? Did you you know. You cannot expect to flourish in the Lord without embodied Christian community. Yep, you can listen to sermons online. That'll help. You'll learn things. You can listen to worship music. That's great. Wonderful thing to do. but there is, there is so much of our discipleship, so much of our walk with Jesus, so much of our insight and wisdom, so much of what the Lord has for us that we only encounter by showing up and continuing to show up. So the, the response to this isn't, well, okay, I'll go to church, but I'll, I'll go to a different one every week. This is, this is LA, right, we can do that. It's like channel hopping, do we still do that? Back before streaming, we had channels and you were just, someone said you, never, you don't put on the TV to see what's on, you put on the TV to see what else is on. <laughs> and here's the thing with channel hopping, you never actually watch anything, because by the time you cycled through all the channels, you're like, well it's probably something different when I, than when I, you see, you just go round the round and round, 45 minutes has passed, you haven't watched anything. And we can do that with church. We can think, well, I'm just going to try that one this week or I'm going to try that one next week. And we're getting snippets of something, but we're not getting what God has for us. We're meant to be part of an embodied community. It's not for nothing that the local church is referred to as a body. The Lord is for that body as well. That body has also been fearfully and wonderfully made. And that body needs you. So let's cherish physical presence. You may not know whether you, you know, some of us will be here today thinking, well, I, I don't feel like I contribute much. I don't, you know, everyone else is more gifted than I am. I, I, I don't know what to do. Your physical presence here is already a gift to the rest of us. The Lord is for the body. That's such good news for us, friends. And here's, here's some more good news. The body is for the Lord. So let me take us back to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and Paul unpacks something of what this means. Paul says some words here that, in any other context, would, would really be quite distressing. Paul says this. He says, you are not your own, for you were bought. A very dear friend of mine, when she was a teenager, she was, she was trafficked. And for, for the next few years, she was owned by these guys. And eventually managed to, to escape thankfully found her way to Christian community, found her way to the Lord, found her way to a a godly man. And when I was studying this passage once, I actually phoned her up and said, you know, you heard those words, you were not your own, you've been bought, and they were the worst words you could have heard in your entire life. How do these verses land on you now? And she said, they're so liberating. Our bodies don't belong to us, we have been bought, we are owned now, we're not our own. Our bodies do belong to someone else, but the someone else our bodies belong to changes everything. People, we can't be trusted to own each other, we're we're just, we can't do that, that's why we hate slavery. But in the context of, of Jesus, This could not be better for us to belong to him, to be his. Our bodies are his. We've not been bullied into belonging to Jesus. We've not been coerced or manipulated into belonging to Jesus. We haven't been stolen. No, Jesus at the price of his own shed blood has brought us to himself. We are his now. And we're not his in the sense of being some piece of property he barely even knows he has. There are some people like that. They've got so much stuff, they don't actually know what they've got. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to enjoy the show Shits Creek as a, as a Christian, but... But... I do. It's, um, it's quite fun. But um, part of the premise of that show is this, this really wealthy family's lost everything... But they suddenly remember they own this little town way out in the middle of nowhere, and they kind of bought it as a joke. I think one of them bought it as a joke gift for someone else. They own this town in the middle of nowhere, and so that's now all they have left, and they have to go and live there. We're not Jesuses in the the sense of that. We're not some kind of, oh, I didn't know I had these guys down here. No, we're told, this is what it means for us to belong to Jesus. Paul says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? That's what it means to belong to Jesus. When humans own other humans, it always ends up being degrading. When we belong to Jesus, we get an upgrade. Jesus has come to dwell in us. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, which means your body is holy ground now. Your body is God's address on planet Earth. Uh, This came home to me last year. I I had the opportunity of going on a a tour of of Israel, something I'd wanted to do for a a long time. Plans had been made and then COVID happened and things got rearranged and rearranged. And eventually we we got to go last year as a, a group of 30 or 40 of us. And I'd always wanted to do a tour of Israel And the great thing about being part of a tour is someone else has done all the work of figuring out where to go and how to get there and has booked everything up. You don't have to worry about any of that. The downside of being part of a tour, I discovered, is that you can only go as fast as the weakest bladder. (laughs) And let's just say most of the people on this tour were of a certain age. (laughs) And so we had the most thorough tour of all the restrooms that exist in the Holy Land. <laughs> but every now and then, in, in between kind of toilet breaks, we did actually get to visit some, you know, Bible stuff. And uh, one of the things we got to, to do was to visit the, the temple in Jerusalem. And you may well know there's, there's a section of the temple that still, is still there that dates back to the time of Jesus. It's called the Western Wall. And you've probably seen images of this. of It's where Jewish men go to pray for the, the whole temple to be restored to them. Uh, to be, they, they pray that the temple would be given back to them by God. It's often called the wailing wall because of the, the grief and the emotion that is poured out there as these, these guys pray so fervently. And I got to stand there amongst this, this sea of fervent prayer and I, you get to hand out, you stick your hand out and touch the wall and to pray. And as I was stood there surrounded by this grief and lament and emotion and desperation, I thought of this verse. And a thought occurred to me, which felt—I I, was—I felt, felt uncomfortable by the thought that occurred to me. But I think it's—I think it's a true thought. My thought was: my body now is more of a temple than this building is ever going to be. That thought came into my mind. I thought, whoa, 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 that's do not say that out loud around here. And I thought, that is that right? And I, I kind of, well, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God. It may feel absurd to think of that, but it is true. It's not arrogance, it's not presumption, it's not because of anything I've done, it's not because my body is worthy of being the dwelling place of God Almighty. This is all because of Jesus. Jesus has chosen to make his dwelling in each and every one of us. So my my precious friends, you have no idea how much you matter to God. You have no idea how much he cherishes you. God does not merely tolerate you. God does not keep you at arm's length. The the gospel message is not okay, we're okay now. You are no longer offensive to me. That is not the gospel. The gospel is not I've got nothing against you. You can be on your way. The gospel is I am coming. I am moving in to your life to be with you. This is how much God wants to dwell in your life, that Jesus died on a cross to make your body a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to belong to Jesus. And friends, this is why it is such great news for us because if our bodies belong to Jesus, here's the thing. The only person our bodies need to please is Jesus. When it comes to our bodies, again, all of, us are, all of us are followers. We're all being led by someone, and Jesus is a far kinder person to be led by than anyone else. If our bodies belong to Jesus, then the only one our bodies need to please is Jesus. So how do we do that? How can our bodies be pleasing to Jesus? I'm glad you asked. Because the body that's pleasing to Jesus is not necessarily the body you see on an advertising billboard. It's not necessarily the body you see on the cover of a fitness magazine. It's not necessarily the body you see turning heads at a beach. No, we see from the New Testament, the body that is pleasing to Jesus is the body that is given to Jesus. So Paul says in Romans 12 verse one, I appeal to you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In other words, Paul is saying, listen, when you really understand God's mercy to you in Jesus Christ, giving him your body is the only sane response. there's nothing better to do with our bodies. If we try and keep them to ourselves, it will not go well for us. If we give them to Jesus, we're putting them in the best hands imaginable. The the body that is pleasing to Jesus is the body that is consecrated to Jesus. God is interested in your body. God is not just wanting to try and sort of steam off the spiritual bit of you and, and do something with that. No, God wants your body. How's that for a thought? So what does it mean then to offer our bodies to God? Well, I'm glad you asked that as well. Uh, let me read to you Romans chapter 6, verse 13. Paul actually has already covered this. I'll read from verse 12, Paul writes this, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members, that is the parts of your body, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So let's back up and think about that. Paul says, don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. That's what we all did. That's what we do left to ourselves. It's not maybe not something we're, we're conscious that we're doing, but human beings, fallen human beings, left to their own devices, that is what we do. We are offering the parts of our bodies to sin. When Paul, back in Romans chapter three, was trying to prove that all humanity alike is is under sin, he uses bodily language to to make his point. So he says there is no one who is righteous, no, not one. He then gives us this list of, of physical evidences. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and so on and so forth. We offered the parts of our bodies to sin, to be instruments for unrighteousness. That was our predicament. That was our situation. And Paul says we're, we're not to do that anymore. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. You did that for too many years. Instead, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So just think about what this is is saying. This is amazing. The very parts of our bodies that we have used for sin against God, those same parts of the body we can now offer to God and they will be useful to him. I was speaking to a a guy at church recently who was, he's engaged to a wonderful Christian girl and the the wedding is is approaching and he said to me, I'm I'm getting anxious. And I I was asking him why and he was pouring out his heart and he said, he said that he had sinned so much sexually earlier in his life, he couldn't imagine that he could ever have sex in a way that would be pleasing to God. You know, I've sinned so much with that part of the body. I'm now really nervous about trying to honour God with that part of my body in my marriage. But Paul is saying, no, the very members that we had offered to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, we now get to offer to God as instruments for righteousness. God can use those very parts of your life, those very parts of your body that you used so wickedly. He can now use them for good. So it's not so much that we have to offer God the parts of our body, we get to offer God the parts of our body. So let's think about that. Offer God your feet. We've seen these dear brothers and sisters who are on the move in all kinds of amazing ways for for the Lord. Let's think about our feet and and say to the Lord, Lord, I wanna offer you my feet. I wanna go where you want me to go with my life. Uh, We can do that in a very short term way and go, Lord, I have time tomorrow that I don't know what to do with. Who can I bless? Who can I serve? We can do it in a bigger way and say, Lord, I, you know, the next 10, 15 years, where do you want me to be? How can I serve you? We can offer God our hands and think, you know, what we do and how we work, those things can be offered to the Lord as well. Your work may be changing diapers, it may be standing at a sink, it may be sitting at a, a, a laptop, keyboard. whatever it is, we offer our hands to God and say, Lord, whatever I can do with these hands, I want to do it for you now. Whatever skills I have physically, those are skills that you can now employ. Uh, My eyes, I want to see the world as God does. Uh, Those of us who were here a, a couple of nights ago are sharing from Mark 6 how Jesus saw the crowds and they were like sheep without a shepherd and were told that he had compassion on them. When I'm stuck in traffic, I'm not thinking of all those other drivers that they're people who are worthy of my compassion. I'm not looking on them with the eyes of Jesus and I want to. I'm normally just annoyed at them for, for the presumption of existing on the same piece of highway I'm trying to drive along. But I think Jesus would have me look at, look at the traffic and think this is a of sheep without a shepherd and they need the Lord Jesus. I wanna offer God my ears, I wanna make sure that in the midst of all the, the voices seeking my attention that I am cherishing the voice of Jesus above all of them. So I don't wanna reach for the apps when I wake up, I wanna reach for the word. I need to hear from Jesus first. And if that means not using my phone as alarm and and putting it as far away from my bed as I possibly can, let's do that. Let's offer God our ears in a way that means we actually listen to each other and and get what we're really saying. Listening so attentively to the people around us, we, we actually hear their needs. Let's offer God our thumbs. Previous generations would have said, offer of God our, our lips or our tongues, but for us, our thumbs. Let's think about the messages we're gonna send, the comments we're gonna post, the words we're gonna type. Let's remember that Proverbs tells us that our words have the power of life and death. They're meant to. We, we live in a, a universe that was created by God speaking. Words are meant to have that kind of force and power. We can create universes with our words, they can be universes of hell or they can be universes of heaven. Your words tomorrow may be words that you don't even know who's gonna hear them or who's gonna read them, but that someone may start tomorrow thinking that's gonna be their last day on planet Earth. And maybe your words will be enough for them to think, do you know what, I'm gonna hang in there a bit longer. Your words can do that, your words can save people's lives. We could go on, but we can give ourselves to God. Your body now can be pleasing to the Lord Jesus. You don't have to go in kind of intensive training for a month first and then offer it to Jesus. You can offer your body right now to Jesus and that will be pleasing to him. You're not the perfect physical specimen and you don't have to be. So what do I say to my dear friend next time he's heading to the beach? Next time he's feeling anxious? I want to say to him, you don't need to think about whether your body is okay enough for everybody else who's at the beach. Because those people at the beach didn't die for you. They didn't die for your body. It doesn't belong to them. You don't have to think about whether your body is okay enough to please your culture or your peer group or your family. Because they didn't give up their bodies for you. But Jesus did. Paul says, You are not your own. What a relief. <laughs> for you were bought with a price, and Jesus has no buyer's remorse. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross? Jesus loves being your saviour. So let's give ourselves to him. Amen.